please take your seat and open with me now in God's Word uh, to the book of Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 uh, through 12. Trust as we read this text, you'll see some of the appropriateness of that song of which we just sang together. Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 7. Now hear God's uh, holy word. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's... Look again to the Lord uh, in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, uh, even as Paul wrote these pastoral words to this congregation uh, so long ago, Lord, we pray that we would see in these words a truth and guidance for your people in every age, including even in the year 2024 in Western Massachusetts. Lord, we need your holy word. We need the power of your spirit applying this truth to our hearts, leading us in the way that we should go. Use uh, these next minutes together, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. As one of your pastors at this church, perhaps my greatest longing and greatest desire is that um, 10 years from now, that each single person that I set my eyes upon in this room, that each single one of you, if the Lord does not take you into his immediate presence in these next 10 years with the church triumphant, that each one of you 10 years from now would still be found in this church or in a church that preaches and proclaims the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and that you would be found as one who is still growing in your faith in Christ, in your love for Christ, in your service to his people, that each one of you would be found to be one who has not departed from the truth, but rather who is still in the truth and growing in it. And I say that not only to you who are adults, but to you who are children as well. My prayer for you that as you grow up into your teenage years, and then perhaps after that you 
would either go away to college or you would have a job and you'd begin to make your own life on your own, that, that as you take those steps of uh, adulthood, as you move from your childhood into your adulthood, that you would still be found in a gospel-preaching church believing the same truths that we proclaim here and growing in your faith in Jesus Christ. I desire nothing more than that. Pastor Rodney and I and the elders of this church, we long for that to take place in each one of your lives. Well, Paul, as he was writing to this Galatian church, was longing for the exact same thing for them. He compares their Christian lives to a race, an athletic race that is run. It's a race that uh, commences when we are first uh, called by our Lord Jesus Christ, when He changes our hearts and we place our faith in Christ. The Christian race begins. And we run that race all the way until that day when the Lord is going to call us home into His presence. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it's a race that is filled with uh, many hindrances and temptations and distractions. But it's a race that we are called to run well. And that's what Paul says to them in verse 7. He speaks to them as a pastor and he says, you were running well. You had begun the race, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, depending on the grace of God. You were running well. However, who hindered you from obeying the truth? They had faced a hindrance. And of course, that hindrance was, for this Galatian church, the, the presence of these Judaizers who had come in and were teaching a, another false doctrine, a doctrine that said, well, it's not only through faith in Jesus Christ that a person is saved, but it is also through keeping the law that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. You must keep the law of Moses in all of its details. And in teaching that, they were detracting from the finished work of Jesus Christ. They were saying, ultimately, that there was some other way to be justified, made right with God, other than through Jesus Christ alone. And he says, don't be hindered in this race. And I say to you the same thing. Do not be hindered in your Christian race. One of the greatest obstacles that you will face is the temptation to succumb to false teaching, to abandon the old paths of the true gospel of Christ for some alternative path. Whether this departure be into a kind of theological liberalism in which you might deny uh, certain key doctrines of the Scriptures, like the reality of hell, or that Christ is the only way of salvation, or the sovereignty of His grace, or His substitutionary atonement, or the call for a holy life. So whether you abandon those things, or if you go into kind of a, if you go into Roman Catholicism and to the dead works religion that it promotes, or into a cult or into a new religion, or into an abandonment of Christianity altogether, dear friends, there is a danger of succumbing to some other kind of teaching than the old paths of the gospel. These Galatians themselves had become unsettled, and my concern for you is that each one of you 
would not succumb to false teaching, but would remain on this race, running this race well to the end. Well, let's look at this passage then today, really as Paul giving five different reasons or five different encouragements, we might say, to keep running well. Five different encouragements to keep running well. And the five encouragements are going to be these. First of all, he's going to tell us that false doctrine is not from God. Secondly, that if you depart from the truth, it impacts others. Third, that the Lord is able to preserve you in his way. Fourth, that the judgment against false teachers is severe. And fifth, you can expect persecution for the cause of truth. Those five things uh, that ought to encourage us to keep running uh, well. We'll, we'll, I'll mention them again as we go through them, certainly. So the, the first of those five things is this. It is that false doctrine is not from God. So these Judaizers had been teaching in Galatia. They had been seeking to persuade the Galatians. But Paul says their persuasion is not from God. Verse 8, this persuasion, what they are teaching, is not from him who calls you. You know, what an important question that is. Whenever you hear any teaching to ask, is this from God? That's the most important question you can ask about anything. And yet it's the last question that so many people ask. People are often more prone to ask, well, do I like it? Or does it make me happy? Or does it confirm the lifestyle choices I've made? Or is it popular? Is it held by many people? Or is it what I have experienced? And they'll ask those questions of, something that they hear, some lifestyle, or I mean, some, some teaching. But really, the more fundamental question that we ought to always ask first is, is it true? Is it from God? And that's what he's saying here. This teaching that you're hearing from these Judaizers, it is not from God. And notice especially how he describes God here. It is not from him who calls you. He's drawing their minds to their conversion. And he's saying to them, remember how you first came to know God. It was by his sovereign grace alone. You were dead in your transgression and sin. You were without life in God. And what happened? God sovereignly, supernaturally, graciously called you out of darkness into life. It was all of grace. It was all because of what Christ did. And so if our God is a God of sovereign grace, if he's a God who has mercy on rebels like you, if he's a God who makes the dead alive, who forgives the transgressor, then do not ever, ever, ever embrace any teaching that denies that sovereign grace through Jesus Christ. It's not from him. It's not from him. But rather it is from the father of lies is Satan himself. And so might we remember that not all teaching is from God and false doctrine especially. 
that isn't in accord with the Word of God, that is not consistent with the gospel of the grace of God who called you, that it is not from Him. And if it's not from Him, we ought not to embrace it. First point. Second point, why should we keep running? Secondly, it's because if you depart from the truth, it impacts others. If you depart from the truth, it impacts others. Verse 9, a little proverbial saying, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul quotes this exact same saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. It seems to be a a favorite of his sayings. And it's taken, of course, from the world of, of the bakery. Okay, a little bit of yeast. It doesn't take much, but it works its way through all of the dough, causing the dough to rise. It leavens the whole lump. And it's that relationship between just a, a little bit and the large effect that that little bit has. That's what Paul is speaking of here. But here he's saying a little bit of false teaching can have a very large impact on the church as a whole. A little yeast of legalism and the entire congregation is impacted. What an important lesson this is, because what it teaches us, dear friends, is that when we go astray from the truth, when there's a little bit of a false gospel, that we begin to believe or begin to embrace, it doesn't just affect us, it affects others as well. If it just affected us, that would be serious enough, right? Our own souls are valuable. But it affects not only us, it affects others as well. I can think of a, I could just multiply illustrations. I can think of a family that I know in another church in another place. It was a, young man that grew up in this, in this church. Uh, he would have professed faith in Christ as, a, as a, about a 20-year-old or something. He ended up getting married, began a family, had children. And then he began to question uh, some of the things that he had been taught, some of the truths of, of Scripture, and had begun to deny them. They seemed to be little things at first, and then it grew. He ended up moving away, far away from the church that he had grown up in, moved to a farm somewhere, and there was no gospel, no good gospel preaching church nearby. And even if there was, he suddenly had no interest in going. Um, I still know of this family uh, today. Uh, he currently has, would not profess faith in Christ at all. What is more, his wife, whom when he married her, she would have been a professing believer as well. But now she uh, does go to church, but it's a church that's not preaching the gospel. Uh, at all. Um, their children have absolutely zero interest in the gospel. They're now growing up, college age, and so forth. And uh, you see that this one man's departure from the truth, do you see how many people it has impacted? But you know, it impacted not only his own family, it actually also impacted other young couples who were in the church who noticed some of the things that, that he was thinking and that he was doing. And it impacted them as well, and there were other couples as well, young families that left, left the church and have left the faith entirely as a result. Do you see a little yeast? One man's questions and his departure has leavened the, the whole lump. It's impacted 
not only himself, but his family even, and others in the church for generations after them. And we need to realize that that's how this uh, works. Young people, can I urge you, you may think that your decisions about religion impact only you. It doesn't. It impacts others as well. Someday you have a family and you have children. It very much will impact your children. It will impact your friends. It will impact many around you. And you have a responsibility for these things. And we need to realize this, that a little yeast leavens the whole lump. And friends, this is why we as a church as well need to be, as a church, vigilant about false teaching and error. This is why we, we have a, a confession of faith to which we adhere and why we take seriously deviations from that confession. It's not because we're straight-laced and so rigid kind of people. It's because we love the gospel of grace and we are scared to death of departing from it. Because it has real impact. It affects souls. It affects lives to depart from this gospel of grace. We want to always be found teaching it and preaching it. And that's why we're vigilant about this gospel. We must resist any and every error that strikes at the fundamentals of the gospel. So that's the second thing. The, that one person's departure can have a very large impact. Second, thirdly now, thirdly, is this. The third truth to encourage you to keep running well is that the Lord is able to preserve you in his way. Notice that in verse 10. The Lord is able to preserve you in his way. He says to them, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other View. So he's concerned for these Galatians, and yet he also has confidence. But the key word there is that little phrase, in the Lord. That's where his confidence rests. Ultimately, Paul is convinced that at least most of the people in this congregation are true believers. And if they are true believers, then God will preserve them, and God is going to keep them to the end. It's a, it's a doctrine that's called the perseverance of the saints. That's what's going on here. It's a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. And that doctrine teaches this, that if God has chosen an individual for salvation from eternity past, election, if Jesus Christ has died for that individual by his effectual atonement on the cross, if that individual then is united to Jesus Christ and indwelt by the powerful Holy Spirit, that if God's saving grace has been given to an individual, then they cannot be lost. They will persevere because it's dependent not on their strength, but on the Lord's. On His promise and on His saving grace power. And so he is saying here, amidst the dangers here of apostasy, we can nonetheless have this confidence that those who truly belong to the Lord will be held fast by the Lord until the very end. 
That's a wonderful thing. That, that doesn't negate these kinds of warnings against apostasy that Paul delivers in this passage and in others. Okay, Because you say, well, if, if the saints are going to be preserved, well, why should there be any warning against apostasy? Well, for these reasons, well, first of all, it's because not everyone who is actually part of the visible church of Christ is truly a child of God trusting in Christ. And if they depart from the Lord, they show that they were never truly of him. So that's one reason. But a second reason is this, that one of the means by which the Lord actually preserves and keeps his people is through warnings. That's one of the ways in which the Lord keeps his, his people. And so uh, uh, the Apostle Paul here gives a warning. Such a warning is important. But he's also saying, you know, at the end of the day, our confidence in this fight against false teaching and against evil, our confidence against all of this, even against teaching so as insidious as this Judaizing teaching was, our confidence rests not in our own wisdom or our own vigilance or our own faithfulness or our own strength to resist, but our confidence ultimately rests in the sovereign keeping power of God. He will preserve his people even amidst error. And that makes Christians fundamentally optimists. You know, we ought to be an optimistic, joyful people. You know, we, sometimes we look at the world around us, and the world is, it seems increasingly, right, an evil place. Sometimes the church appears very, very weak. We see various threatenings against the church of Christ, and we can be tempted to despair, but one thing we must never forget is that the Lord who saved us will continue to save his people that the church is Christ's church, and that someday in glory, dear friends, when we are in glory with our Lord Jesus Christ, we're not going to go around wringing our hands and saying, well, you know, our Lord Jesus didn't do a very good job. He didn't save that many. Everything seems so weak, so pathetic, but rather we are going to rejoice on that day that amidst the very evil world, that Christ Jesus did die for his own and he brought them all to himself. And Christ himself is triumphant over this world of darkness and of sin. That's going to be our, that's our confidence. Even in dark days, we have confidence. That's what inspires us to go forth in the Christian life. Dear friends, we're not on the losing side. <laughs> you said, but oh, isn't Christianity being stamped out in New England? Well, Again, the forces of darkness are real, but the Lord has his people here. And the Lord's not only the God of New England, but he's the God of this vast world, and he's doing amazing things in all sorts of different places, saving many people. And that's our hope, is that the God who sent his own son for lost sinners is the God who will save them surely and bring them to that end of final glory. And that's why Paul can say, even amidst the threatenings against the Galatians church, I have confidence, but I have a confidence that's in the Lord. Might we still have that same confidence, dear friend? That's a reason to keep running well, because we have a God who does preserve his people to the very end. Fourth, fourth, why keep running? Why should we keep running? It is this for this reason 
that the judgment against false teachers is severe. The judgment against false teachers is severe. By severe there, I don't mean it's more than what is called for, but that it is something that is serious indeed. Verse 10 says these words, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and this, that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. That little phrase, whoever he is, is interesting. It may indicate Paul's ignorance of exactly who it was who was coming to trouble the church in Galatia. But it may be that Paul does know who it is, and his point is this. Paul's, this is Paul's way of saying, well, it doesn't matter that person's rank, his popularity, his position, if he is leading God's people astray, whoever he is, he will not stand before the God of holiness and of truth, who loves his people as the apple of his eye and will protect them. Do you see? It's an indication that true, sure, certain judgment comes upon those who would ever abandon, and especially those who would teach others to abandon, this gospel of grace. And this is such an important point for for us today because do you know that false teachers often appear very popular and very impressive in this life. Often they can be very smooth and effective communicators, They can be well-dressed, have big smiles on their faces. They can write very popular books or host popular podcasts. They may have often thousands or even tens of thousands or perhaps even millions of followers. They may appear happy and successful and will even testify to their joy of being unshackled from the bonds of evangelical Christianity and so forth. Dear friends, what we must do, despite all of that outward impressiveness, is we need to look beyond the veneer of that outward condition and instead set our eyes upon that great and awesome coming day of judgment that is going to to appear. When the Lord of glory is going to appear on the clouds of heaven and every single person who has lived is going to be brought before that throne of judgment. And on that day, oh, what will happen to those ones who themselves refuse to have faith in the only Savior of sinners and what is more, taught others not to look to Him for salvation as well. What is going to happen to those on the day of judgment? I shudder to think of. For the God of glory and of grace, oh, what judgment will come upon them. And dear friends, what you and I need to do is to, as it were, set our eyes upon that coming day of judgment. And when a certain teacher who has departed from biblical truth, when they seem to be impressive and they are attracting such a follower and it seems like they're so successful and it's so easy to go after them, set your eyes upon that day of judgment and remember what's going to happen. Remember the penalty that is there too. I think that's what's going on ultimately in verse 12 as well. Uh, It's an interesting verse, wasn't it, to end the reading earlier. Paul saying, I wish those who 
unsettle you would emasculate themselves. It sounds rather harsh, doesn't it? Uh, of course, Paul is kind of playing on this idea of, of circumcision, and he's saying if you would have people circumcised, why don't you just go all the way yourself? And uh, here he's, um, and there have been various explanations of what Paul said. Some have suggested that um, in certain pagan religions in the first century, priests would engage in a kind of self-mutilation. Uh, and so he's saying, you're no different than these pagan priests. And I think that's a possible reading, right? Uh, others would look at Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1, uh, which would uh, speak of those. Uh, let me just read that, read that verse real quickly. Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1 that says, uh, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And he may be here saying that these false teachers should be excluded from the assembly of uh, the Lord. It's just a, a figurative way of speaking of that. And it may be one of those things is in Paul's mind here. But I also think it's possible that however gruesome these words sound to us, it's essentially Paul's way of saying here, you know, the judgment that is going to come upon these teachers is severe. And the Bible often speaks in this. But you remember what Jesus said about those who lead the little ones astray. He says it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea and to lead little ones astray. Do you remember what was said to Simon Magus, Acts 8, who tried to buy the Holy Spirit with his money? And he was told that both him and his money should perish, that his money and him with his money should perish. I think it's just similar language that's going on here. Paul is saying the peace and the salvation of God's precious people in Galatia is so valuable that it would be better for these false teachers to mutilate themselves and to be done with it than, than to dare harm the church of Jesus Christ. What powerful words those are. But it does remind us, dear friends, of how serious these things are and of the sureness of the judgment that will come upon those who are false teachers. But now lastly, fifthly, what's the fifth reason for keep running? We've had four good reasons so far, and I trust in many ways that these are enough to encourage you to keep going, to not depart from the, the true faith. As you remember, okay, that, that false teaching is not from it's not from the Lord. As you remember that to go astray impacts others as well. As you remember God's preserving power in the lives of His own. Fourthly, as you remember the judgment that comes upon those who teach falsehood. But now fifth, here's another reason, one last reason. It is that you can expect persecution for the cause of truth. We find this in verse 11. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. It's an interesting verse again, because uh, we read this and we say, well, was Paul preaching circumcision? <laughs> it doesn't seem so. And so what Paul could be saying here is either a hypothetical, well, if I were preaching circumcision, but of course I'm not, that would be one approach. Or it could be 
that actually these Judaizing teachers were saying, they were trying to say, Paul is actually on our side. Think of it. Paul himself is circumcised. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9, that to those... Uh, to the Jew, I act as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I am as one under the law to win those under uh, the law. Paul himself would later have Timothy circumcised in order not uh, for, for gospel purposes, for evangelistic purposes uh, among the Jewish people. So it may be that they've, as it were, twisted Paul's words and twisted his motives to say, you see, Paul himself says, it is necessary to be circumcised. Of course, Paul never said such, any such thing. Salvation is only through the grace of God alone. But he was slandered. He was possibly being slandered here. Well, what's Paul? how does Paul respond to this? Well, again, Paul never advocated circumcision as a necessity of salvation. And Paul says this, in fact, because I have had an uncompromised commitment to the gospel and to saying it is through Christ alone that people are saved. It is for that reason that I have been persecuted. And I mean, and think about it for a moment. Think about Paul's life. He was at various times beaten and arrested and imprisoned. He was even stoned and left for dead. And, and why did all of those things happen? Was it because he was telling people that they had to be circumcised? Not at all. He is saying, in every single case, you look at the affliction which I endured, and in every single case, it was because I was preaching without compromise that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And that is what brought on me persecution. He had preached Christ. And so, should you and I be surprised when people don't react well to us being a Christian? And the answer is no, we shouldn't be. Should we be surprised when it makes us feel like an outsider or when we receive a little bit of slander or ridicule for Christ's sake? Or when we can't take that job promotion or play on that sports team because it would take us away from our fundamental commitment to Jesus Christ. Should we be surprised when these things happen? And is that reason to give up Christianity? You know, that's why some do it. They, they say, I don't want any persecution. I just want to fit in with my age. And so they give up Christianity. And he's saying here, no, if you're going to be faithful to Jesus Christ, then you ought to expect a little bit of persecution. In fact, to experience persecution is one of the marks of Christ's disciples. Jesus himself said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. And to be persecuted like this is not only to walk in the way of the prophets who went before us, it is to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ Himself. And it is to remember that at any given time, dear friends, you and I have brothers and sisters in Christ all throughout the globe who are suffering greatly for the cause of Jesus Christ. 
Some of them are in prison. Some of them have been cut off from their families. Some of them this year are even going to suffer death for the cause of Jesus Christ. They are willing to be persecuted for His sake. Are we going to give up the faith because of a little persecution that comes our way? Trust that the answer is no. See, Paul is saying here that the cross carries with it an offense. You see, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed if I preach circumcision. What's the offense of the cross? The offense of the cross is simply this, that the message of the cross will offend unregenerate people. Why? Because the cross says, first of all, that we are all sinners in need of being saved. The cross says that you can't save yourself. That offends our pride. And the cross excludes all other ways of salvation, but says it is found in Jesus Christ alone. And that offends our age of tolerance, dear friends. And so the cross has a scandal. It has an offense to it. But dear friends, is that offense not one that is worth carrying, even in our day and age? Because the very thing that so offends the unbeliever is the very glory of the Christian. We say, we say, that cross declares that I am a sinner. Well, I know myself to be a sinner. It says I can't save myself. Well, I know that because because no matter how hard I've tried, I, I can't do it. I can't do enough. And that cross says that there is no other way but through Jesus Christ. Well, of course, because Christ Himself is the only begotten Son of God who was sent from the Father for my deliverance. So I don't take offense at that, but I rejoice in that. And that ultimately is the position of the Christian. We glory in the cross of Jesus uh, Christ. I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of His face, content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. And ultimately, dear friends, brothers and sisters, why should we keep going? Why should we keep running? It is because of the cross. It is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's why. So don't give in to any false teaching. Can I plead with you, each one of you in this room, those who are older, but especially those who are younger, be found in this gospel truth. Don't give in to the lies of our age, to the lies of Satan. Trust this only Savior who saves. Grow in Jesus Christ. Be part of Christ's church. And don't give any ground. Might it be found, might we say of you, you were running well. You faced many hindrances, but you kept on running. Might that be said of us. Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for this kind of encouragement that we see from the book of Galatians. How Paul speaks by the inspiration of your spirit so plainly concerning these matters that are so essential to our soul's good. O Lord, our God in heaven, 
Help us to draw these lessons today. Help us to keep these five reasons for continuing to run. Help us to keep these five reasons firmly planted in our own minds, O Lord, and use these things to keep us in the way of truth, we pray. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen.